Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Gridiron Features Editor, Simon Clancy, and my podcast buddy Ollie Hunter, all alongside us. What's your title now, Ollie? I just uh, I don't even know anymore. You're you're in house now. I but, don't know. Yeah. Gridirons. I just it's generic, isn't it? I think it's Gridirons, Ollie Hunter. I'll take Gridirons, possessive uh, in... Ollie Hunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one of my pronouns. Gridiron. <laughs> he, him, gridiron. Or maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Just, grid, no, uh, just gridiron. It's a pronoun now. I've, I'm, I'm claiming it. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, right. Welcome to the Gridiron Show. Uh, this was always predictably how this was going to go when they put me in charge of hosting the show today with my tiny, tiny eyes and the bags underneath them after being up doing Monday night football last night and not sleeping very much in the day today. What with a, a little matter of a World Cup going on. But... Coming up on today's show, we're going to wrap through some of the uh, the Week 11 big storylines. We're going to preview Thanksgiving because it's just a few days away. And actually, I think comparatively, I don't remember the last time that all three games on Thanksgiving felt compelling for various reasons. And very much there isn't one that I'm saying, well, that's the one I'm taking off uh, this time round. So three really, really interesting, really fun games of football coming up. So we'll preview all of that. And of course, Thanksgiving blink brings brings Black Friday as well. I nearly stumbled all over that, didn't I? This Black Friday, we are offering pod listeners a feast of football with an extra special Gridiron subscription offer. Take out a print or digital sub to Gridiron anytime between now and the 4th of December. You'll not only get 10% off the standard price, but we'll also give you 12 months free access to the read optional. That's Ollie Connolly's Substack. If you like getting nerdy and deep on football, if you want to be that guy in the pub, in the bar, wherever you watch the game with your mates, who just has that extra bit of knowledge to make your friends go, ooh, then the Read Optional and the Gridiron Magazine are two very, very good places to start. So uh, the code is TGSBF22. For your subscription, you get eight issues in a season. Uh, Go to the Gridiron website and type in TGSBF22. The Gridiron Show, Black Friday, 22 to get that 10% off and a free year subscription to the read optional. Right, boys, I've done the salesy bit. How are we all doing? Very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. I've just told you I'm tired. We, <laughs> we're good. I, 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 uh, I stayed up last night to watch um, watch the game. I didn't listen to you on Talk Sport. I should have done, I guess. No, but uh, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck are, are pretty good. They're way better. I mean, we've had to suffer so much bad Monday night football commentary teams over the, the last three or four, five or six years that I'm enjoying the TV comms team of uh, Buck and Aikman. Aikman threw in a zinger. Uh, Buck wished him happy birthday and he said, oh, I'm 65. 65. I had to Google it straight away. I Googled it straight away. I was like, no, he's not 65. And then he said, oh, no, I couldn't really work out even with the explanation why he said it. But it was a big old singer. But what I I only I plan to stay up and watch a little bit of the offense because I love Christian McCaffrey and Debo. And I had I had some fantasy implications as well. So it was I'll just stay up and, and watch. A drive each, and then it became well. San Francisco didn't score. <laughs> they on both that drive. going out three and out. So yeah, so I thought I stay up and watch the next bit, and then the next, and next, and and by the end, by the time I knew it, it was deep into the third quarter, and I thought I'll oh, just I'll see this through. And they are such a fun offense to watch. That and the defense is really good as well, and the special teams it all tied together brilliantly last night. But when we've got Dolphins versus Eagles, the old gridiron derby. Eagles, Dolphins versus 49ers, the old gridiron derby in a couple of weeks' time. They are the two best, two of the three best offenses in the league going up against each other. It's going to be amazing. I just, this is why we stay up and watch football for offenses and playmakers and schemes like this. It's just magnificent. And Jimmy Garoppolo has made them better. (laughs) You're on me, Will. Why is he on mute? What's he doing? It's because my microphone. Okay, it's because my microphone came unplugged. I'm in a new setup. I don't like it. Um, all right, it's time. Hands in the air. I went on the rant earlier in the season. I didn't see this coming in any way, shape, or form. But Jimmy Garoppolo has been 
legitimately the best he's played his football in his entire career. And I know Simon told me, and I know that Sherry told me, and I know I that you. I bit back hard when he was rubbish in the first weekend. He's just not, doesn't look anywhere near as jittery in the pocket. Doesn't look anywhere near like he's going to make the mistakes he was previously. He's making the right decisions at the right times. The timing of the offense is coming together. I do think McCaffrey has made a huge difference to that in the last three weeks specifically. You watch the the Ayuk touchdown last night. And that whole play works off that angle route from McCaffrey, which draws defenders out of the way. Garoppolo can throw them off with his eyes. And if he doesn't become available, Ayuk's on that little whip route out to the left that becomes available. The offense is schemed as much as possible to work for Garoppolo, but he hasn't been that guy that when under pressure, when behind, which they have been in the last couple of games, he's not been the guy to also make the mistakes. I'm still <laughs> like, we've got the postseason. The Cardinals aren't a very good there, football well. team. Should have just stopped there. The Cardinals I... aren't a very good football team, right? Let's, can we, we've got to caveat with that and say there's much better on the horizon. The Saints this week, maybe not so, but we've then got the we've then got to face the dolphins at home the bucks at home and the seahawks in a row that's three weeks that is a proper test and uh, i mean i don't know simon you said something to me before the podcast that you weren't confident about that game i i think that dolphins matchup is about as exciting as is left on the slate for any neutral the rest of this season, to be honest. Yeah, first of all, Michael, the producer, just clipped that out because the worm has very much turned. <laughs> um, uh, what I'd like to see is the rant from earlier in the season juxtaposed oh, against the admission that, you know, situations have changed. Now, I mean, I always have glass at, at least, at least, At least, Simon, it was an admission. At least it wasn't yeah, the it classic was thing that most people do in media where they just yeah. pretend like the earlier rant didn't happen. You're very what, like your well. Derek Henry take. <laughs> Yes. I don't know what you're, you're talking about. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I'm always glass half. Um, I'm always glass half empty when it comes to these things. I do think a road trip uh, to the West Coast, Miami, have got the Chargers and the 49ers back to back. It's a very difficult slate that they've got. Um, and I do wonder, Mike McDaniels made the admission that he doesn't like playing against people that he's coached with in the past. He always finds it very difficult to scheme against them. And uh, I think we found that out a little bit. In that game against the Jets early in the season, although obviously, you know, the Dolphins were playing with Skylar Thompson. I think that's a very different result if two was playing in that game. Um, so it'll be intriguing to see what happens when he goes up against his old his old teammates because he will know what's coming. But then the, the 49ers defense will also know what's coming at him in terms of what he wants to do. Um and how he wants to play it. Um, I will be, you know, two is on this incredible tear at the moment. So obviously you kind of want to keep him healthy and keep that offense um, going. And what's really happened, and you'll know this better than anybody, Will, is that Jeff Wilson has just added an extra dimension to that offense. He's slipped straight in. There were some problems with Chase Edmonds in terms of him just understanding the scheme. And Daniel himself has talked about how really it takes two years for full competency for, for running backs in the offensive line to really get the nuance of that scheme. Um, but we've seen Jeff Wilson come in and and be fantastic, both running the ball, receiving, but also in pass protection. He's been outstanding in pass protection as well, which has been key. I think it'll be a really exciting game. I, I do have some concerns about the Dolphins on the back end, just with the injuries. Byron Jones is rumoured to potentially be on that plane on the, out to the West Coast. I know McDaniel said yesterday he still wasn't ready to come off PUP, but it's got to happen sometime soon. I just think if he's back and if he's healthy, that adds a real dimension to that Dolphins secondary because, you know, the numbers, the win rate percentage rushing four has gone up dramatically since the signing of Bradley Chubbs, who've gone from sort of third or fourth last in the league to, you know, in the top three or four. Uh, and to be able to do that with, you know, just by rushing four and dropping all those players that we've got into the secondary, led by Holland, led by Howard, with Byron's Kadeko, who's been outstanding as an undrafted rookie free agent from Texas A&M Commerce. Um you know, it would be a it would be huge for the Dolphins, and you know, up against a really powerful offense. And you watch Christian McCaffrey, and you just think the ability for Carl Shanahan to be able to do what he does with him in terms of lining him up in the slot, lining him up out wide, throw the ball. You know, obviously his ability to run the ball just um you know just adds uh, another extra dimension to an already really potent offense. And when you see George Kittle running through secondaries like he was last night, it's you know that's pretty hard to shut down because he's a phenomenal player. I know, I know Ollie wants to talk Debo. Just one second. I, have, I, I just want one question. Pressure. Now Bradley Chubb's there. Is it mostly from the outside? Are you getting interior pressure? Because the one thing the 49ers that won't be talked about very widely because they're unsung heroes and not very sexy. Spencer Burford, a fourth round pick, has given up zero yeah. sacks and something like four pressures all year. Yeah. Aaron Banks, a second year guard who moved all over the formation last year, hasn't given him a sack this year. Jake Brendel, 
has given up one sack this year. Like the interior of that line's been amazing. So yeah. that is one thing I'm intrigued about. I mean, Mike, Mike McGlinchey looks to be the the kind of the weaker link. I mean, what what what's tended to happen is that we've been rushing four, but um, you know, with Melvin Ingram outside and with with Chubb and Ingram on the outside, and then they they're just shifting Jalen Phillips inside, and then Phillips will either rush with a Christian Wilkins or a Zach Sealer or an Andrew Van Ginkle. Um, sometimes they bring extra pressure. You might see a Javon Holland. Previously, obviously, Brandon Jones, arguably the best sort of blitzing defensive back in the league. I think he had six sacks last year to lead all DBs and was playing really, you know, was having a really good season before before he tore his um, before he tore his ACL um, or his Achilles, one of the two. Um, but yeah, they've been getting home before. But what they've been doing is just moving Jalen Phillips inside to allow either Melvin Ingram or or Van Ginkle to run to rush off the edge and certainly high sided rushing. I think it'll be interesting to see how Burford handles a uh, you know somebody that can convert speed to power as well as Bradley Chubb can because um you know I really like Burford coming out. I thought he was excellent at the Senior Bowl. I thought he was excellent on tape. But you know this is a big old proposition for him. And you know if Jalen Phillips can get home against McGlinchey on the other side, you know on first and second downs, that's going to put you in a lot of you know behind the sticks a lot of the time. Um, so it'll be so intriguing to see how it plays out. I wanted to ask you a couple of things, Simon. Seeing as you're our resident uh, and the UK's premier Dolphins insider expert, <laughs> or some would say czar, uh, if Danny, <laughs> if I was Danny Kelly, um, what they do? Are they going to be staying out on the West Coast, or do they fly yeah. back? Is no, it? They're, they're staying out. So they're staying out. Obviously, Chargers first week, 49 a second, um, and then flying yeah. back because they've got you know Buffalo. Um, Green Bay on Christmas Day, and then yeah. finish up on the road at New England, home against the Jets. So it's you know it's a tough it's a tough out, but you know I think um, I mean what you'd like to see ultimately, I mean ultimately look you'd like to come back two and zero off the West Coast, but I think one and one coming back off the West Coast would be great. And you're playing against a slightly reeling Chargers team, but you know starting to bring back some players from injury. Look at the impact that Keenan Allen had, but then losing you know they lost three or four players in that game against Kansas City on. Um, yeah on uh, Sunday night, which was excellent. And the irony of that game, of course, was that, you know, the Jets went into Sunday thinking that if they won their game against the Patriots and the Chiefs lost to the Chargers, the Jets all of a sudden were the number one seed in the AFC. They end up losing on the Marcus Jones punt return. The Chiefs hold on and score that late touchdown with Travis Kelsey. And now the Jets are actually out the playoff race, which is the um, the kind of the ultimate indignity for um, for that for that team. So, um yeah, lots of things can change. There's a real log pile at the top of the AFC, but for the Dolphins to come back, you know, one and one on the West Coast um, from those two games would would be ideal, and and two and zero would be absolute dreamland because all of a sudden you really are right in the face of the Chiefs in terms of contesting for that number one seed. Do you mean two uh, yes. and zero? Yes, very yeah, good. Sorry about that. Um, uh, uh, but whilst I carry on with this uh, with this logistical organizational thing that is that's going on in my mind, do they borrow? How, what do they do about training facilities? Do they? Do they borrow I from I don't an know NFL team or like Stanford or something like that? Yeah, I would imagine one of the universities, whether Cal State Poly or Cal or, or yeah. whoever. I, I don't know where exactly they're staying or how they're doing it, but I think the plan has always been to stay out, use the facility out there rather than um, rather sure. than come back, go back out again. It just seems sort of um, reductive in, in in that in that respect. Did you have a Debo Samuel question? I did. Know? I'm sorry. I got really interested right. in the logistics of uh, of a team flying across the country. I'd bit bit niche and a bit dull maybe for some people but i, but Mike, I got you interested. want to cut that stuff out you're welcome to i enjoyed it as that well that was but... good that's good that's good stuff hey, anyway. hey look, ollie ollie the 49ers preparing to go to mexico went and trained at colorado air base for three days so that they could get used to the altitude oh, yeah, Ooh. yeah. Ooh. Log- <laughs> to- logistical talk <laughs> i just love it um uh i wanted to ask you about debo when he came out as south Carolina in 2018 did you foresee or was this ever on the cards this this hybrid role and you we saw from that touchdown yesterday with the with Burford the aforementioned Burford blocking out front all the blockers and the amazing scheme but whenever he Debo has the ball in his hands and becomes that running back he's a cross between for me that Shanahan um Devonte Freeman, Tevin Coleman, um, dual threat he had in their in their Super Bowl run, the Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl run. But he's got that in one player, mm. and then he does all the all the amazing stuff he does as the, the wide receiver. I just think he's, I think his skill set is uh, off the chart for multiple positions. And he's, I don't know, I, I wonder whether you foresaw something like this being the the, the college expert that you no, are. No, I don't think so. I mean, you kind of look at guys that have made that transition sort of more full-time in terms of um, 
uh, God, I can't think, Cordero Patterson in yeah. terms of, you know, he came out as a receiver returner and has obviously shifted, played a bit of running back for, for Bill Belichick and has then sort of shifted more really to a full-time running back. But it certainly wasn't something I foresaw. And, you know, people talk about now, it's it, these things are, are so kind of myopic in terms of, you know, everybody's looking for the next Debo Samuel. I think actually, you know, he's such a one-off. He's such a, you know, you see somebody like Christian McCaffrey obviously able to play in the slot. Able, but we've always understood that both back at Stanford at Carolina. Whereas I, I don't think I certainly foresaw a lot of him getting the ball out of the backfield. There's a couple of, there's a guy at South Carolina at the moment, tight end called Jaheim Bell, who should probably go on the second day, maybe early third day of the draft, um, who is a tight end as a sort of a flex tight end, an H back. He's about 230 pounds. Um, and he's actually run the ball more than he's caught the ball this uh the yeah i think he had seven runs last season but he's had about 60 runs this year out of the backfield and you know he's a similar size guy similar he, he's, he's taller than than samuel samuel much squatter um but I, I just think physically his skill set just lends itself and also stylistically i don't think you'd want to run Debo samuel in a power run offense but just in terms of his innate understanding having been in the scheme for for a while his understanding of you know blocking schemes and that sort of one cut and go way that the inside out zone outside zone runs and and what um, the expectations are in that in that Carl Shanahan offense makes it so um, makes him so perfect for it. But also, I don't think you want to put him in the backfield too much because it removes his unique ability as a as a receiver to go up and make catch the ball in traffic to take the ball you know to the house, which he can do. He's got great yak ability. So no, to answer your question, I, I certainly didn't foresee it, and I, but I also certainly think he's kind of pretty unique in the NFL in terms of how it works. Um, I promise this has been a lot of Niners and Niners adjacent chat. But the if you want to go and watch a great example of that yards after catch, but also I know it wasn't the yard after catch, it was on the sweep, but the blocking downfield on his touchdown on the 39-yarder where he went on the end around and he had uh, Brandon Ayuk, he had the center Jake Brendel out there, he had Trent Williams getting downfield, he had Tyler Croft getting downfield, all making significant blocks 5, 10, 15 yards past the line of scrimmage. It was just a beautiful, it's, beautiful thing. To it's, one of, yeah. it's one of the unique things as well, Will, certainly in that offense, but certainly out of, you know, it was it was certainly a staple of Mike Shanahan. It's become a staple of Kyle. It's it's clearly become a staple of Mike McDaniel is the ability of receivers to block. And we have a guy in Trent Sherfield who obviously played for you, who's one of the elite blocking receivers in the NFL. Um, in terms of what he's able to do. And actually, Sherfield was integral in the summer and in training camp in actually getting the tight ends, the Dolphins' tight ends, to learn how to block in the scheme. Um, and he's been massive in terms of his ability to block. But you see that with Tyreek. And, and, you know, you look at how Tyreek's skill set is. Everybody thinks he's, like, thin and, you know, speedy. And, you know, he's, what, 5'10", 180. But you look at him, his arms are like tree trunks. There. I mean, he's absolutely stacked. And same with Jalen Waddle. Waddle's blocking has been significantly better. And I just think, you know, you look at George Kittle, you know, I think Travis Kelsey has slightly separated himself probably as the best tight end in the league because of Kittle's injuries maybe. But George is still a sensational player and just like having an extra offensive lineman in terms of his ability to block, as we all know. But just the ability of those receivers in that scheme just helps the run game so dramatically. And whether that's McCaffrey carrying, whether that's, you know, uh, Jeff Wilson, whether that's Raheem Mostert, whether that's uh, Elijah Mitchell, they're certainly helped out by receivers being able to block as well as, you know, the really good linemen that both teams have got. And for the Dolphins, a man we lost in the summer and they picked up. I remember talking to Emmanuel Sanders about the role that Wes Welker played in that in his first year in San Francisco, which was the year they went to Miami into the Super Bowl and, God, they couldn't be more effusive in their praise for a guy they wanted to run through brick walls for. And yeah. you're willing to run through a brick wall. You're normally willing to block a DB 20 yards downfield when you need to. Right. Uh, let's move away from this game. We, we are going to do a big kind of Thanksgiving preview. Three big games, Lions, Bills, Cowboys, Giants, Vikings, Patriots. Uh, and we'll kind of loop in discussion of their week 11 games into those conversations but outside of those six teams i'll come to you first ollie from the week 11 slate what really caught your eye what's something that you want to you you want to particularly mention i mean uh, what do you think <laughs> I, I i know it's... Was it i think it's patrick mahomes is definitely going to win the mvp that's what i think you want to talk yeah, about yeah yeah that's exactly it that's exactly it. it's not uh i predicted green bay's uh Rise from the ashes, Phoenix from the ashes, Phoenix from the flames, uh, running the table kind of thing going on. I, it, that's a bit gutting. But yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, that game that you covered on TalkSport 2 on, on Sunday Night Football, 
with the Chargers. They always serve up amazing games. I mean, Justin Herbert looks great. A bit unfortunate on that final interception, but Patrick Mahomes is it? Is it unfortunate? I mean, that's his fifth. That's his fifth fourth quarter, late fourth quarter interception in terms of. But isn't he just forcing it? Isn't it? Isn't it just trying to trying to get the get it done? But I suppose that separates the 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 great from the good. I, I just think Mahomes it was an issue for him. At, it was yeah. an issue for him at Stanford in terms of being able to get across the line in the big game, and it feels like that's carried over in big moments. You know, he's Emmanuel Lacho referred to him yesterday as a social media quarterback, which I thought was a little bit unfair, but I kind of understand where he's coming from in terms of his amazing ability to play to make those phenomenal throws. We saw it in the touchdown to Josh Palmer, didn't we? But there are just times where you just think in that big moment where you've got to drive down the field at the end of the game, you just you, you do worry about the big turnover. I'm sorry to interrupt your point, but no, I, I do think it was important that, you know, I, mean, I think he's, has he had four pick sixes in the fourth quarter in his career already, which is a, a phenomenal amount. And then to see him throw that pick again into sort of what was pretty much quadruple coverage. Um, I, I know it was sort of knocked up in the air and picked off by the linebacker, but even so, that's a... You know, that was a risky throw to make and he didn't get away with it. I take I, your point. I, I, take your point, I, I yeah. joked on Twitter that they should have just let them run the kickoff all the way back because we all knew that Mahomes was going to go and score yeah. <laughs> and actually give me 90 seconds and two timeouts instead of 30 seconds and two timeouts with a lot less pressure on him. And I think he doesn't make those same kind of mental errors necessarily. Yeah. But sorry, Ollie, carry on. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes is still obviously, in, I mean, it's, it's, it's such an obvious thing to say he is an incredible player that's put himself right at the front of that MVP list. But there are a couple of players that if they continue uh, in the vein that they've had, well, Jalen Hurts at the beginning of the season, not necessarily over the last couple of games, but that Prescott, since he's come back from his injury, the game against uh, Minnesota where he was flawless, we've got a pretty much a three-way race um, Josh Allen, I think, has is, is fallen off a little bit because of those interceptions that we talked about at the beginning of his his professional career and that Simon's mentioned with um, Justin Herbert over the last couple of weeks. Those are creeping back in into Josh Allen's game. But those three quarterbacks in Hurts, Prescott and Mahomes, I suppose Tour as well, Tour is playing incredibly as well. Those four of have got a real race on their hands for that MVP list. And it's, the, I guess, the guy that blinks first that uh, is going to drop out first. I don't think Prescott makes the list, mate. I just think missing five games means that he's, you know, that's a that's a struggle for him. I would have it as as Mahomes, Tour and, and Jalen Hurts, I think. Um, I mentioned, sorry, I said earlier on that um, I was thinking of Christian McCaffrey and Stanford as we were talking about Justin Herbert, obviously at Oregon, not at Stanford, but the, the point remains that Stanford was the only team he really beat in his very final game in the Rose Bowl, but he did that with his legs rather than throwing because hmm. he ran for three touchdowns rather than, yeah, that was a slip of the tongue. Uh, Matthias asked on YouTube and by the way you can leave your comments they're just having a chat amongst themselves in the YouTube comments by the way they're all just going off on one Matthias did ask when you hear the phrase fourth quarter interception who do you think of in the NFL uh, and you've got to say that Justin Herbert is is up there in recent years undoubtedly you could start to call it a Herbert couldn't you it's like my home <laughs> a Herbert late in the game <laughs> I, I honestly I, I, I've been huge on the Tua turnaround this year, uh, Tua Tunga via turnaround. Uh, I, the Tua so around? Uh, the, uh... So bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm all right with it. I'm good with it. I um, hope you take these with you to your Dolphins podcast. Yeah. Just eviscerate us. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I mean... Who else did you mention? There are two or three others who are definitely... Oh, Jalen Hurts, of course, has to be in the conversation, although back-to-back slightly tough performances from that Eagles team in the yeah. loss and then only just scraping past the Jeff Saturday Colts this past weekend might hurt that. I just... I watched that fourth quarter and I watched the two touchdown drives and I just thought to myself, if he wins MVP this year, when he wins MVP this year, both those drives will feature very heavily on the highlight reel, particularly when it was a game where he was missing so many of his starting receivers. And that'll be used. The fact that he lost Tyreek Hill this offseason will be used as part of that. But you know, Travis Kelsey is an absolute touchdown machine. Uh, where, do, right, like right now, Travis Kelsey, I saw a lot of hot taking around this on Sunday night. I, I still have Rob Gronkowski as my best all-round tight end when at peak. I know that, you know, 
Gonzalez had a ludicrous career that went on for what, like 18 years or something. And, you know, if you want to look at the current NFL, I do think Kittle's a better blocker than Kelsey, but just as a pure like offensive weapon, is Kelsey now just straight out number one tight end all time on that perspective? That's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, I, I, Peter King had a great stat on in Monday Morning Quarterback that this will be Kelsey's eighth straight thousand yard receiving year, which is just a phenomenal number. I think Gronkowski had three. I think that was the number. So I think it has a pure receiving. Um, I, I think he's you know, the greatest of all time. It's very difficult generationally to look, go back and look at, you know, the great tight ends of old and, and say that, you know, is he better than a Mike Dick or is he better than a Keith Jackson or whoever it is down the line because of the way that the game has changed so dramatically over the years. But certainly I think in, in the modern game, you know, Gronkowski is kind of the 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 mountaintop, I think, but because of his ability in massive situations to come up, because of his size and his physicality just made him so so difficult to cover. You know, and, and and people talk about tight end erasers, Rob. You know, trying to draft guys that would essentially erase a Rob Gronkowski in the playoffs, and it never happened because you just couldn't do it. You, you know, if he boxed up in front of you like a like a big power forward, you just weren't getting around him. And in terms of his ability in the run game, he was he was outstanding. Kittle, I think, is the best blocking tight end in the league, um, and I think he's probably the second best overall tight end but I just think what Kelsey does as a route runner what Kelsey does in his ability to find the dead area in zone what he's able to do with the ball in his hand I just think it just separates him from from the field is he better than Gronkowski they're very different it's like apples and oranges because they just play the game in two very different ways but I think Kelsey is a good blocker actually I think he's improved significantly significantly in that area Um, but you know, his ability is not called upon to stay in line and block because they don't run the ball very often. And they use the tight ends, especially Kelsey, to pick up six, seven yards as drive starters, which, you know, teams would be handing off to their running back to pick off five, six, seven yards on first down. And they just do it to him. But who didn't think that the the ball was going to Kelsey at the end of the game? I I literally, two plays before, I just, I didn't know what the score was. Watching him back and thinking, this game's going to end with Mahomes finding Kelsey in the end zone for a touchdown. And two plays later, there he is, boom. And it's a touchdown. And you're not trying to be overly prophetic and thinking, oh, yes, uh, you just know that that's what's going to happen because nobody can cover the guy. He's always open and he catches everything. He's uh, He's just an unbelievable player. And for me, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So we talk about the NFL, but have you ever experienced the NFL in its natural state, live and in person in America, surrounded by tens of thousands of screaming, partisan fans after spending hours beforehand in the car park outside the stadium enjoying a cold beer maybe one or two as the smell of barbecue and tailgate food wafts deliciously through the air if not or if you have and you fancy doing it again well touchdown trips folks are the experts in creating amazing travel packages for your favorite NFL team. And when we say amazing, we mean it. The guys and the girls at Touchdown Trips put fans first and are passionate. The fans who book with them get a proper, unforgettable, and more importantly, a unique NFL experience. You don't just get tickets, but an authentic pre-game tailgate with local fans. College fan? You want to go to a college game? Stadium tour? Why not? As well as all that, they include flights from across the UK. They've got fantastic hotels and anything else you may want to add, such as an NBA game or an NHL game or a local excursion to create truly bespoke packages that are more importantly, at all protected and ABTA bonded. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season or next and just want to get in touch, give the team at Touchdown Trips a shout today at touchdowntrips.com. Check them out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash touchdown trips or Twitter at touchdown trips. Touchdown Trips, you have to see it to believe it. The... um. The one other question we've had on social media, and look, it was a weird week on Sundays. Thanksgiving up next, where we'll talk about some of these teams, like for example, the you know the Patriots getting a eighty-five <laughs> yard walk-off punt return touchdown in the most ludicrously bad game of football I think I've ever watched. But like the Ravens just doing enough, the Bengals just doing enough. Like it was just one of those scrape by kind of Sundays for a lot of teams. Um, we have had a question from Connors in on Twitter, though, at Gridiron on Twitter. One of the surprise entertaining games, maybe we knew it was going to be entertaining because they're close teams and they're both bad teams. 
But the Raiders walk off touchdown in overtime to beat the Denver Broncos to go to three and seven to send the Broncos to three and seven. Talk about forgetting to, you know, try and cover somebody. Devontae Adams as wide open as they come on that blown coverage on the touchdown. Uh, Connor's just simply asked Nathaniel Hackett, one and done? Question mark. Ollie Hunter first. Well, I think he's got to be, hasn't he? He's got to be one and done. Um, I'm not sure you can blame him him as the offensive guy or not really an offensive guy because he doesn't call any plays anymore. But you can't really blame him for Devontae Adams being uncovered. That's on the defense. But um, it's not. Obviously, it's gone so badly, hasn't it? Now they can't even win at home. Um, players are, are not getting back from injuries quick enough. Jerry Judy, then hugely missed. I know Cortland Sutton, my boy, um, it, he hasn't really kicked on potentially like we thought. And Russell Wilson, there were flashes, weren't there? But they're so far and few between that uh, that, I mean, we've got, to, we've got to start thinking about that being maybe one of the worst trades of all time. If if what transpires this so far this season continues to do so. Um, but do you know what, Simon? The first mm. drive of that game, Russell Wilson looked great. The yeah. first half overall, <laughs> Russell Wilson looked pretty good. And then it was almost like you could just expect that Mr. Unlimited was suddenly going to get more <laughs> limited as the game went on. No, he's yeah, not I just think it's, yeah, I just think it's really weird. I mean, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but you know, if I had been Nathaniel Hackett, I would have made sure that I was getting one of the video guys to go back and pick out Russell's best 25 or 30 plays that he ran in Seattle and, uh, and install them into the offense. You know, why would you not build exactly the offense around it? Because let's make no mistake that, the Nathaniel Hackett offense was built for Aaron Rodgers. The Broncos were expecting Aaron Rodgers to be the guy that they that they traded for, not Russell Wilson. They signed Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, he's. I mean, let's go back and look at it. You know, he's had trouble with clock management. He's had trouble with in-game decisions. They brought in Jerry Rosberg to help as you know somebody that would just essentially hold his hand. They're two and six since that point. He gave up play calling this week to the passing game coordinator. They they scored sixteen points with. Kubiak, uh, Clint Kubiak, the the new offensive coordinator in charge at the weekend. They lost again. They're 32nd in the league in scoring. Nothing is working. They haven't scored more than 24 points all season. I mean, uh, to me, it's Other than that, it's been great, though. Other than that, it's been amazing. <laughs> but to your point about being one and done, I think that, you know, their owners didn't sign off. The new owners didn't sign off on his signing because he would sign beforehand. They didn't even meet the guy until the summer. And they've watched this team that everybody was talking about going on a Super Bowl run in the in the best division of all time, um, you know, forty seven million a year or whatever it is quarterback contract. They've started three and seven. They've been swept by the Raiders, who themselves are, you know, dreadful. Um, I just I just think that the the Walton Penner Group or the Penner Walton Group, whatever they are in charge of Denver, are not in any way tied or married to Hackett. And I think bizarre, barring some late season surge. I, I cannot see a scenario in which he's kept on. And, and quite frankly, and I know Michael, who's our producer and uh, all-around good guy, the Denver fan, uh, believes that you know he'll be sacked before the end of the season. And who would be shocked if that happened? I, I don't think I would be. To be fair, though, Michael has been saying that ever since the the uh, <laughs> the, the London game. Yeah, uh, very true. And every week he's going, oh, he's, got, he's, he's got to get sacked. Got to get, he's got to go. He's got to go. Um, he's not Jamaican. No, uh, he's not. He's not. And that was not a Jamaican <laughs> accent, let me tell you. Um, it, it, Russell Wilson's stats across the board are the absolute worst in his entire career. His ratings the worst. His uh, his completion percentage is the worst. His average per per throw is the second worst by 0.2. He is he's so bad this year, and it can't be all down to um, it can't be all down to a new head coach. Um, or, or lack of talent on the receiving court. I think there's something something else going on. He's so so bad. No, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, Michael. How is his is his cringe per conversation also a career high? Because uh, like that's off the scales. That's it's awful. Let's ride. Uh, Christ, right Thursday night. Let's look at this. The Thanksgiving slate for 2022. Uh, you know, actually, last year we had a couple of really good games. Uh, on Thanksgiving, we had the Bears and the Lions going in a tight one. We had the Raiders with that overtime win over the Cowboys. And then the Bills just 
destroying the Saints in the late game, which is almost kind of what you want in the third game of the night, just so that you know that, you know, you're full of food, you've had a few drinks and you can just fall asleep on the sofa. I think we've got three really intriguing uh, ties coming up. And I wouldn't have necessarily thought that when, if I'd looked four weeks ago and gone, Bills at Lions in the opening game, 5.30. You know, the Lions, obviously, a tradition that they play in this. They were 83 Thanksgiving games. And you kind of thought to yourself, this could be an absolute demolition. And then the Lions win three on the bounce, kicking off with that victory over the Packers, that tight one with the Bears, and then beating a seven and two Giants this past weekend. And the Bills, prior to their win this past weekend over the Browns had been on a little bit of a wobble and suddenly this looks, uh, Simon, like a little bit of a frisky game. Yeah, I think it's really iron. I think it's a really good slate, all three games, like you say. I think the Lions deserve a, a mention, the fact that, you know, they won three games in a row for the first time since about 1826. Mm. Um, which, which and and two, two road games in a row since, like, in their existence pretty much as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and look, they, they played the Dolphins the week before. They, they won their first these three games and you know played it really close and we're unlucky not to win that game really um so you know it seems to be coming into i mean it's a very interesting one for for dan campbell and for brad holmes in that you know three weeks ago you're in a situation where you're potentially you know vying for the right to get hold of bryce young the alabama quarterback now all of a sudden you you know you might be picking in the middle of the middle of the draft jared goss playing well they've got an offense that can pretty much live with anybody and since that miami game and since the sort of threat of aaron glenn losing his job i know that um, the the secondary coach uh, lost his lost his job. Um, they've tightened things up. Kirby Joseph, the rookie, uh, playing brilliantly on the back end. Jeff Okuda finally sort of beginning to show some of that form and getting good performances now from Aiden Hutchinson. A couple of picks, the pick against the Packers, the pick at the weekend against Daniel Jones. Um, and they're playing really well. They're playing solid special teams. They're playing really well on offense. Uh, they've got one of the best offensive lines in the in the business with those two big tackles and Taylor Decker and Penai Sewell. And Jared Goff's sort of playing turnover-free football. And, you know, I think most people really enjoyed what they saw from the Lions in um, on hard knocks. And, you know, I think it'll be an interesting game against Buffalo. I don't think, you know, I think it'll be high scoring. I, I think they'll probably have a, you know, a job stopping um the Bills, when push comes to shove, in terms of you know the skilled position players with Davis and and um, and Stefan Diggs and and the big tight end, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, I think it'll be an entertaining kickoff to the, the Thanksgiving action. I, I think it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it because you've got two high, you've got two deep offenses that have got playmakers all over the place. They're putting up points all over the place as well. Um, it's a shorter week. I, it's it's going to be magnificent seeing these two teams going up against each other, and as as Simon said, it's not just playmakers on the offense. There's defenses as, as, as well. The defense has some real real superstars. I'm, I, it finally we've got a Thanksgiving game involving Detroit for the first time since about yeah, 1863. We've been to Detroit, but I don't. I've certainly not been to the stadium, but. Um... It feels like there's going to be a really good atmosphere in there on Thursday night as well. Yeah. You know, actually, something uh, to cheer about. Can, because can I said, play... I just like to make the point that I said before the season that I thought Detroit would would be one of the wildcard teams, and all of a sudden, that you know, in a bad NFC, they're not that far out of wildcard contention. You know, and if they beat the Bills, then all bets might be off. People keep saying this bad NFC thing, and I believe that that was the truth going into the season. But I am starting to believe there are at least four teams in the NFC that are good enough to compete. And we'll talk about at least one of them coming up with this Thursday Night Football. But I think the Bucks are back on the ascendancy. We've talked about the Niners a lot on this podcast. You know, uh, the Vikings will have to see how they do on Thursday after a demolition this past weekend. The, and the Eagles and the, the Cowboys coming out of the, the NFC. We will get on to the Cowboys. I'm just going to, yeah, I, I'm delighted that you did mention uh, uh, Aiden Hutchinson. He was brilliant this past weekend again got the fumble recovery as well as the interception and you know okay you've got a couple of guys who are so stand and far away in in Tariq Woolen uh, uh, and um, Source Gardner in that kind of defensive rookie of the year campaign but Aiden Hutchinson has been you know certainly in recent weeks having a season which could rival those I just wanted a bit of by the way Ollie Hunter logistics chat uh, hashtag is is brand new thing. Uh, the Bills, of course, played at Ford Field this past weekend because oh, yeah. of the snow game. They were the nominated home game. 
they used the road dressing rooms and all of the road facilities and the road bench so that they could essentially practice for Thursday night and know exactly where they needed to be and everything else. And I, I kind of love that. That's really heavy logistics, that, isn't it? Way. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's such heavy logistics. We need to, <laughs> need to get, get a, 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 you know, accustomed and familiar with the away dressing room. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, all right. That, I love it. Love it. I, I, the Bills are an interesting one for me because, you know, at seven and one, we thought they were going to absolutely wreck the AFC and, and were looking absolutely unreal. I, I thought in the first half against uh, against the Browns, they were pretty abysmal. Like, they, they, they came in and they had that kind of 13-10 advantage. It was a game they were expected to win. They were like nine and a half point favorites prior to it moving to a dome and it moved kind of towards a touchdown by that point. But prior to that, touchdown drive to end the half where Stefan Diggs, who hadn't seen a target yet in that game and then was over on the touchline remonstrating with every coach in the world before he managed to get himself the touchdown grab. And maybe that was the real catalyst for them. But second half, they just started to regain a bit of identity. Their running attack started to come together. I thought Singletary and Cook, both rushing for 86 yards, was really significant for them. Like I just, I don't know. That... The second half made it feel like maybe the wobble was over, but it also makes me think that they are there for the taking, potentially. Yeah, I want, I do wonder about that running game, though, Will, and it does feel like there's a sort of superhuman pressure on Josh Allen. Look, the game against the Vikings was so unique, so weird. They were sort of, they were beaten by, I use the word again, but a superhuman performance by Justin Jefferson in terms of what he was able to do. But, you know, they kind of gave the ball away with a late fumble at the end. Um, gave the game away with the late fumble at the end and stuff. And, and you know, I don't think the Vikings on any given Sunday really could match up with the Bills. I was just surprised that they gave that, that game away. I, I do think it happens to all really good teams at a point in the season. It's happening to the Eagles currently. You know, it, it's hard to keep up that momentum for, for 17, 18 weeks of the season. You know, the Bills really built their, you know, brick wall of their season early on in September and early October. Yep, they're taking a few bullets now. But, you know, who's going to want to go to to Orchard Park in in January, late January in the playoffs? I, there's not a single team in the AFC that's, that's going to, you know, want to do that because they've got an absolute mutant at quarterback. They've got, you know, a solid offensive line. They've got great receiving talent. They're really good on defense. They can get home with four. They've got Matt Milano, who's just one of the most, probably arguably the most underrated player in the league. They've got great safeties. I know Mike Hyde's out for the year, but Jordan Poyer's back. And they're bringing Tredavious White back to, you know, and they've got a great kicking game in Tyler Bass and they're brilliantly coached. You know, this is not a team that's going anywhere. Yeah, they've had a little dip in performance, but I don't think it's a, you know, to me, this is a blip on the radar that happens to all good teams. And we've just seen it with the Eagles. You know, really last week they lost their first game. They could have lost to, to Indy on Sunday. You know, the Bills are going to be there or thereabouts when it comes to the final reckoning. And if it's, you know, Bills at Chiefs in the, um, in the final game of the season in terms of the AFC Championship, you know, that's not going to be a shock to anybody. I don't think anyone would complain apart from Dolphins fans either. All the neutrals um, would would like that repeat of of the AFC Championship game last last time around. But I mean, it wasn't I even the Championship think, game. Don't forget because the no, Bengals were there. Around. It was the yeah. AFC the Division round game. Jeez. Yeah, because yeah. the, the Bengals been. went to the Super Bowl, mate. <laughs> oh yeah, they did. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. But uh, you know, you know, you know what I mean. It, it it had the vibes of being a Championship game. Um, I think the Dolphins will have something to say about it, though. They'll have something to say about it. I think the Bengals might have something to say about it as well, quite frankly. I don't think the Bengals are going anywhere. Or the Ravens, in fact, you know. They're, you know, they're... Ravens have stuttered. Yeah, but, you know, again... They're seven and three. That's that's not a massive stutter. I don't, you know, kind of... Yeah, yeah, You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, I haven't heard from many of those Cincinnati fans that slagged us off at the start of the season with the, you know... You look at the you look at the, the Ravens' rest of the season versus the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals have got an incredibly difficult schedule, whereas the you know the Ravens are just playing you know junior varsity teams for the rest of the year. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, you know they um the, the the Ravens I think will comfortably win that division, and it will be tough for the Bengals to get in. But you know they're a very good team, and you know Josh uh, Joe Burrow has been fantastic without Jamar Chase and T Higgins stepped up. I mean, he was huge on Sunday against the Steelers. So. Uh, Chase off the old crutches as well as a little bit of a 
this point in the season trope for you. So he is coming back. Oh, it's going to be fun. I'm really excited for the rest of this season. I'm really excited for the rest of this Thanksgiving slate. Giants at Cowboys is a fascinating one to me. The Cowboys have lost four of their last five on Thanksgiving, and it tends to be one of those real kind of turning point of the season games for them, where they either prove to be uh, a contender or more often than not, not. The Giants coming into this game with the same record at 7-3, and three, but having just lost to that Lions team that, yes, we've been effusive of, but I don't know. When you look at the coach of the year conversation at the moment, Brian Dayball very much up there. We'll give Mike McDaniels flowers, of course. Nick Sirianni, uh, you know, maybe before being beaten 43, Kevin O'Connell would have been in that conversation as well. But the reason Dayball's in there is because They've not been a great football team, but have got to seven and three. And I've got a feeling that in Dallas, that's just going to tell this weekend. Ollie. Yeah, D- Dallas um, are just flying at the moment, aren't they? Uh, they were unlucky to lose against a Green Bay side. They kind of just the, the wheels came off. But then just put an absolute spanking on the Vikings in every in every facet. Seven sacks on Kirk Cousins. And I know the Vikings offensive line isn't that good, but I think that just shows, and, and it was five different players that got those seven sacks. I think it just shows the, the strength and depth on that defense. And then when your defense is so dominant, it allows for Tony Pollard, Zeke Elliott, who's back. CD Lamb had a quieter game, but uh, as did Dalton Schultz, but other players step up. And just the, the threat, the dual threat of those two runners, Tony Pollard is just... He's overtaken Zeke in a lot of people's eyes, and um, and then Zeke does the the stuff that he needs to do within the in, within the, that five yard line. But Thanksgiving at AT and T, if anyone has got the chance to do it, I've done it once. They they played Washington back in a, a former iteration of that uh, that franchise. I've it's an amazing experience. It's an incredible stadium, and I'd implore anyone if if they get the chance to go and do a Thanksgiving game. Make sure it's the Dallas one because just just a, a real real uh, experience. Dallas is yeah, so he, dangerous. Aren't he, they, he, went, they? he went to watch a Dallas Boston Braves game in 1936. That's what Ollie's talking about. Yeah, yeah that's the duration yeah. of that franchise. You're Dallas, a so, Dallas are so dangerous, though, aren't they? Because yeah, you know, they retained Dan Quinn, which was such a big thing, and uh, and what it's done, quite apart from anything, um, has meant that Mike McCarthy can just focus on the offense really and give Kellen Moore a hand because you've really got a you know you've got a a guy who was a quarter away from winning the Super Bowl in Dan Quinn uh, running that defense. They've got, you know, we talk about Josh Allen as a mutant. They have got, you know, the, I mean, this is hyperbole, but they've got one of the best defensive players I've seen since, since Lawrence Taylor in yes. Mike Parsons, you know, and uh, I mean, I was talking about, there's a Dallas, I'm in a studio here and there's a Dallas fan who's a big Dallas fan who's in the studio. And we were talking about it earlier on and we were saying, you know, if you, if you were just to line him up and, and just rush the quarterback every single snap, he would get 20, 25 sacks in a season. He's that good, you know, and he's almost a victim of his own ridiculous talent because, you know, he can get sideline to sideline. He's not lazy. You see him running 30, 40 yards down the field. He's just such a phenomenal athlete. But again, just what you need in in December and January is they have the ability to get home with four or with five if you rush Parsons. I do worry about them a little bit on the back end, but they're so good. He's so good. You're getting Lawrence obviously chipping in. Armstrong's chipping in. Um, the guy they got for her, whose name completely escapes me, but was drafted by the Jaguars in the fact Dante Fowler is chipping in with sacks. And then offensively, I just think the decision just to move, you know, Tony Pollard into that, you know, sort of not necessarily a starting role, but just into that more diversified role, getting him more touches, not just on special teams, not just manufacturing touches for him. I think was such a smart move because very much like Christian McCaffrey in San Francisco, you can line him up out wide, you can put him in the slot, you can run him in motion, you can give him the ball in jet motion, you can hand the ball off to him inside, outside. He's tough, he's quick, he's got great vision, he's got outstanding hands. You don't want to cover him one-on-one on an angle route or a two-way go out the backfield. Um, he's such a massive threat and, and obviously, you know, keeping Dak healthy, Tyron Smith's been out, but the 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 rookie Tyler Smith has played uh, has played really well at left tackle. Zach Martin is you know another Hall of Famer currently playing. You know, th- there's a few of those out and about in the league at the moment. Uh, the line sort of gelling together, and I, I think the Cowboys are a hugely dangerous out for anybody. And the you know you don't you do not want to be going to Dallas in the playoffs. I just think they are because that defense is just so special. Does OBJ go there, Will Gavin? I mean, I would, wouldn't you? Uh, Will? Yeah, 
Hundred percent. I like he even tweeted after the game this weekend saying like yeah you know, about how they went off uh, against those Vikings in that forty three win. Like it, it's it makes total sense, and it's it's kind of terrifying to think of the idea because what has really struck me over recent weeks and look, you gave Tony Pollard his flowers and rightly so, and the guy has established himself as the lead back. And I think they were, this game very early on was at, at three all, and he had that drive. We had the eighteen yard run followed by the twenty yard run, and it just seemed to drag that Dallas offense forwards and then turn them. That just from there on out, they were a complete juggernaut. And his open field speed and the way he makes people miss, I, I love him. I think he's absolutely brilliant, but. I thought Dalton Schultz was excellent again in this game, despite not seeing the ball as much. Great blocking, availability when he needed him. But CeeDee Lamb, like, only four or five weeks ago, people were going, I oh, doesn't really look like a number one. He doesn't really look like a guy who is going to be able to with that team. They need an Odell Beckham or someone. Actually, CeeDee Lamb, in terms of just how powerful he is and some of the catches that he makes, that sideline grab where Dak threw it miles outside yeah. of the sideline was unreal. He's just a he, he's a I mean he's sort of damned by the by by the fact that yeah he was taking what seventeenth and and Justin Jefferson went twenty first and Jefferson is you know is a top three receiver in the league and, and Lamb you know came out with such high hopes and not that he hasn't necessarily fulfilled them but you know you go back and look at running wide open against those sort of wide open Big Twelve defenses which he was doing at Oklahoma whereas you go back and look at Jefferson and what he brought to the table was not necessarily the the big plays that you'd seen in terms of the flash plays that CD was having with the yards after the catch and those sorts of things. And, and what it seemed like he was just invariably running wide open on every single play. But what Jefferson was doing was, you know, running routes like a, like a proper NFL receiver. And he was doing it against NFL talent at cornerback. You look at Patrick Satan, you look at JC Horn, both first round picks of the, of the Broncos and the, and the Panthers, but across um, across the board in the SEC, whether Martin Emerson at Mississippi State, all of those guys in terms of the, the the SEC corners that he was going up against and getting open because of his unique skill set as a route runner, quite apart from his ridiculous hands, his body control, all of those other things. It's just the route running ability that, that just separates him. I do, I do think, I mean, Odell Beckham, even when he comes back in, is going to take three weeks to get up to speed. And he might appear rotationally. And he might, it's a playoff yeah. signing. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he comes in over the next couple of weeks and starts to show out maybe week 16, 17, 18, around there potentially. I think the thing is, is that with C.D. Lamb's emergence over the last four weeks, you look back at that Rams offense last year and the role he played versus Cooper Cup and and they had Van Jefferson and others who were making big plays. Like That's the role he needs to fill, not like a straight-up number one. You're right. I, you mentioned uh, Cooper Cup in there um, in, briefly there. What's going on with the LA Rams? Just they are. <laughs> We're doing a Thanksgiving preview, Ollie. I know, but uh, I, you, <laughs> men- you mentioned it, and it, it made me think about it. How how bad? They, they, how bad? they are going to be the first team since the 2003 Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. to have a losing record the season after a Super Bowl, and it's made me wonder how much the Sean McVay leaving has really affected the locker room because it, it does feel to me like that had a massive impact on whether or not. That you know what was just going on because it felt like a lot of the team just dialed out in terms of you know McVeigh saying oh, I'm going to go and work in TV and I'm going to give up coupled with the sort of Aaron Donald retirement thing I, I I just I think that had a really negative effect on the but also the flip side of that is you know that whole sort of and excuse my French but the fuck them picks thing you know was was absolutely hugely successful to win a yeah. Super Bowl but actually what it means is that you know you have to hit on every single late round pick and they've done a very good job of that. But, so the, you know, at some point the rubber meets the road in terms of you can't continue to pay free agents. You have to develop your own players in this league and they just haven't been able to do it as consistently as you'd like to see. And some of those players that they banked on in the later rounds just haven't kind of come through. And when you're missing on a Cam Akers and you're missing on a couple of other guys, that does have a knock-on effect. And I think that's come home to roost. Uh, I am going to say that uh, looking at this Thanksgiving game, a couple of team, a couple of players have, a couple of teams have run on the Cowboys incredibly well this year. Washington did, Tampa Bay. Like there have been teams that have beaten them on the ground and and been good at that. And so I, I, I think the Giants, the way that they win this game is they ride Saquon Barkley like they did two weeks ago. I think the problem is if you give a guy thirty to 35 touches you can't just keep doing that week in week out and I think almost with a Thursday night tilt in their sights and a Lions team they thought maybe they 
would beat without needing to go to Saquon Barkley as much. They just didn't use him in the same way. And Daniel Jones ends up turning the ball over left, right and center. So I, I think I fancy the Giants to keep it maybe closer than the Vikings did, which is oh, going out on a limb there, Will. <laughs> um, because turning our attention to that final game of the night, two of the weirder teams coming into this week in the 120 game, because you've got Bill Belichick's bringing the Patriots into this game. First time they played on Thanksgiving since 2012, which was the uh, Mark Sanchez butt fumble game. Very much on a, a, a defense led by Matthew Judon that had been incredibly impressive, but couldn't put up more than three points on offense against the Jets. Get Jets, good defense. But there was all this talk about, you know, uh, Zach Wilson is terrible this weekend. The play calling and to an extent, Mac Jones' performance was not good enough. Like, the play calling is what it falls on for the New England Patriots. But Mac Jones, there are f- I went back and watched it after hearing Matt Sherry tell me he played really well. And there were at least three sacks in that game where I'm looking and going, even a semi-mobile quarterback. And I don't. it doesn't need to be. I'm not saying it needs to be Jalen Hurts. It doesn't need to be somebody like who has got the legs and able to escape and make it turn it into a 20-yard game. Just somebody with a bit of pocket presence who knows when to step up, when to move out would have avoided at least three of those sacks. And that's where the concern comes for me, is he's so immobile. Yeah, I don't know. Going up against a Vikings team who got just an absolute whooping this past weekend, I, I, it's neither of these teams coming into this one impressive, but one of them coming in off a win and just off the AFC playoff picture. So uh, this is I find this one really, really difficult to call. The thing I'm really looking forward to seeing is, is Judon up against that Vikings team offensive line that allowed seven sacks multiple QB pressures and hits and 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 the like that's the that's one of the the matchups that I'm really looking forward to seeing but you're right there's some they're really they're weird teams and Bill Belichick's being weird this year it's like a weird year for Bill Belichick because you'd expect him to get more out of players and what he's done throughout his entire career is get more out of players um and and teams are are the sum of their parts rather than the individuals, and that's just not happening. Hasn't happened for the 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 entirety of this season. The the whole thing between Bailey Zappi and and Mac Jones was bizarre, um, and that surely hasn't helped with with the camaraderie and 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 how certain players will feel about their quarterback. I just find the I find the New England Patriots and what's going on there just weird, and I I can't I can't really put my finger on it, but there's something odd going on. Yeah, his regression surely is down to you know because he yeah you know, he certainly did play well in stints last yeah. year and doing what the offense you know he wasn't let's not mistake he wasn't Patrick Mahomes back there, but he was consistently keeping the ball moving he was making big throws in big moments he was doing exactly what he was asked to do and he was doing it competently more than competently at times um but i you know it can't help that um you know a former super bowl winning defensive coordinator is calling the, the offensive play that seems to be you know i mean it's absolutely mad quite frankly and uh, you know i've seen a couple of their games this season the play calling has just been beyond woeful uh and so i certainly don't think that helps i, I think ollie you make an a really good point there about the Bailey Zappi stuff going back and forth. That didn't help either. It kind of helped your confidence as a second-year quarterback. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you played. doesn't matter what you did as a rookie. doesn't matter the fact that, you know, you almost won a national championship, Alabama, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the fact that you, you know, you're essentially booed off the field, you know, in that game. And when Bailey Zappi comes out, he's applauded and people are shouting his name and you're like, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of thing. And then Zappi comes out and throws two touchdowns on the first two drives or whatever it is and the crowd goes wild that you know that has to sting a little bit for for Mac Jones I, I think the interesting thing you, and again you made a, a great point there with the, the Patriots defense with Christian Darashaw you know second concussion in eight days I, I, you know I, I very much doubt he'll be playing on a short week at left tackle for the Vikings so that's going to really you know open things up in terms of Matthew Judon who's, who's having a defensive player of the year type season um, it, this one's a tough one to call I, I think the Vikings aren't as good as their record shows um they won a lot of close games and yep you can only beat what's in front of you and they've done that but i just um and i don't think whilst i don't think sunday was a true reflection of their ability 
Um, I, I don't think when push comes to shove, they're a team that you think, yeah, the Vikings are going to go to the Super Bowl. I do think, however, on a short week at home, having been spanked 40 to three or whatever it was, that they're just going to come back and they've got a point to prove on national television, um, you know, that they are not going to want to lose again um, and really sort of fall back into the pack a little bit in the NFC in terms of, you know, because they're in a position of potentially getting the number one seed. And now it's, uh, you know, and if the Bills winning that, if the Lions winning that early game, you know, I'm not saying the Lions are going to catch the Vikings, but it starts to put a little bit of pressure on the on the Vikings if they, you know, they flame out again against the Patriots. Yeah. I just can't, I just can't see it. I think, you, uh, you know, as much as the Patriots have got so much to play for in a crowded AFC, I, I think the Vikings will win that one. You, you mentioned the um, the close game thing, winning seven games by a single score of their eight, four of those by a field goal or fewer. And they went on that seven game winning streak and they rode their luck to an extent and they're four games ahead of the Lions and Packers in the NFC North. So they're feeling themselves anyway. Turnovers have been, have been kind of massive for them. Uh, fourth in the NFL in turnover differential. And so, you know, I, Mac Jones will need to protect the ball in a big way. And actually, like, that game got away from them horribly this weekend. But actually, like, you know, Zedaria Smith's been playing really well this year. Their front's been really good overall. I think they played brilliantly when they were here in London, getting to watch them in the flesh and getting pressure, admittedly, on Andy Dalton. But that's the problem. We, I keep, we keep having to caveats. Like, Patriots have had back-to-back three-point games on defense. Like, that is ridiculous. But it was against mm. the Colts in the last game for Frank Reich and a Zach Wilson-led Jets team who just couldn't put anything together and their own you know, coaching staff are throwing the quarterback under the bus at this point, but 2.1 yards per play, 44 yards through the air, 103 total yards. I don't care if you're playing a, a peewee football team. Those are ridiculous stats for a defense to achieve. And yeah, mm. Matthew Judon's 13 sacks this year, two and a half ahead of everyone else in the NFL. And admittedly, that's he's picked up those kind of big multi-sack games, the Colts, the Bears, you know, where he's kind of really gone off. But yeah, I kind of fancy the Patriots just because I like that unit so much. I just, I can't see the, the Vikings can't be as bad as they were this weekend. That that just got away from them. It was just bizarre. I mean, they, the Vikings played the Dolphins in Miami and were atrocious. And they only really won the game because it was a combination of uh, Skylar Thompson and Teddy Bridgewater because it was one of the games that Tua wasn't playing. And they really only won the game on a late Dalvin Cook long touchdown run on, I think on a third and one or a fourth and one. Um, I, again, I think if Tua was playing, that game isn't close. I, I, I mean, Miami had so many opportunities that they wasted. And at that point, I just thought this Vikings team aren't very good. And I think that's kind of borne out a little bit in terms of the games they won, whether that was in London or, or, or whatever, in terms of just getting across the line. Um, and really, their only big win of the season came against the, the, the Packers in the opening game, where the Packers, you know, didn't play very well had the big kind of letdown with a long touchdown pass that Christian Watson dropped on the first offensive drive, um, which I probably would have made that a very different game. So, you know, Vikings fans are probably going to be hating us as much as Cardinals fans do, but, um, and Bengals fans. But, um, yeah, I'm just not sold, Ollie. That that's oh, it's team. amazing, Ollie, as, as I throw to you, that we talk about the NFC contenders and everyone's talking about the Cowboys right now, the 49ers right now, yeah, the Bucks resurgence off their back-to-back wins. Yeah, the team in the number one seed are the Vikings. Like they are it's nuts, in... isn't it? After losing, <laughs> after losing forty to three, three and they have a minus two point differential despite being mental. eight and two. It's it's nuts, isn't it? Um, a couple of uh, little kit watchy aspects I'm looking forward to for this Thanksgiving. Here we go. Here we go. But firstly, uh, props to Matthew Judon for always wearing the bright red arm guard arm sleeves things. You can spot him a mile and off. I love it. Hashtag kit watch. The, the Cowboys are going to be wearing, for the first time in a decade, their throwback uniforms, which is the black, uh, sorry, the, the the white helmet with the just the lone blue star. They've got the the blue the blue shirt with the white with the white sleeves, white pants. It's stunning. It's stunning. And the Vikings are wearing their their color rush. Hashtag kit watch, uh, all purple with the yellow numbers. That's another beautiful kit. I, I couldn't find anything on uh, on um, the Giants or or the the Lions. Hopefully the Lions don't wear. They're all grey, which is. Hopefully the Giants will wear the oh, old school helmet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's magnificent, isn't it? Maybe oh, it would be great cool. if the, the Pats wear their um, their their throwbacks as well with the old school helmet with the Patriot um, in, in the, uh, the offensive line pose. It, 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 Thanksgiving throws up 
not only some interesting food, but some really great hashtag Kitwatch uniform matchups as well. I, I'm a big fan of Dolphins throwbacks where it's oh. got the the Dolphin wearing a helmet, but the, but the, but the Dolphin's helmet has an M on it, not a Dolphin on it, which what I want yeah. is just infinite Dolphins getting smaller and smaller and smaller yeah, on yeah. each helmet. <laughs> he's, not, he's not even a real Dolphins player. He's not even wearing the right helmet. It's ludicrous. Um, I just said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way, I've just sent uh, Zeke Elliott leaked the helmet for Thursday night on his Insta page and then quickly took it down. But of course, someone screenshot it. Uh, that is stunning. I've just popped it in the WhatsApp group. That is a, a thing of beauty. I've just popped that in there for you, Will. The uh, the ever decreasing dolphin. That's sort of <laughs> that, oh, that's amazing! Right, uh, Michael. Oh my god, it. I You've love that. You've got to post that with the video. That is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I literally <laughs> tweeted that the other day. Not this, this, but uh, like a uh, a uh, word a take a word the... volume, a word version of dolphin within a dolphin wearing a helmet. A helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mind blowing, really. Dolphin within a dolphin sounds like a John Madden Thanksgiving meal, doesn't it? It's like a tadaka, isn't it? It's like a dolphin within would a dolphin. Eat... And see, cutting it with his hand. Would you and... eat dolphin? Tuna. No, well, tuna's not a dolphin, is it? No, it, 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 was, tuna, it, it, was, it was in the 80s and 90s, though. That's the problem. Oh, right. Okay, one of those. Yeah, yeah. I Maybe I'd, I'd try dolphin. We all know you ate horse meat lasagnas, Ollie. Don't deny it. Uh, right. yeah. Great That's why I get regular nosebleeds. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> but, but he could also run at the 3.30 of Saturday. <laughs> 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 Never do that again either. Right, we all want to go watch the end of Mexico, Poland. So let's... Oh, what's the <laughs> yes. score? Uh, nil nil uh, oh, so let's wrap this thing up um, look guys uh, Thanksgiving uh, we'll be across it on all of the Gridiron socials at Gridiron at uh, UK Gridiron on Instagram you'll find us on TikTok as well uh, myself and Ollie certainly the invitation is open to Simon although I know he's a busy busy man but myself and Ollie will certainly be on TalkSport 2 for the mid game of the three and I'll be doing the old ridiculous all-nighter again because apparently i just hate sleep uh so we'll be there for all three games and i'm sure there'll be plenty of gridiron chat on there as well find us at gridiron and at uk gridiron. i did that bit already i'm tired and need to go to bed so i'll bid you all of you thank you simon thank you Ollie. this has been the gridiron show